Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to the Lockbox Podcast. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and we are here with Nick Kite. Thank you for being here, Nick. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you introduce yourself, tell our listeners who you are and where you're from. So Nick Kite, born and raised in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, which is the nation's capital. I've been in real estate now. This is my eighth year. Absolutely loving it. We are going through a really I would say huge boom in the Ottawa real estate market. So it's a really exciting time for us here in Ottawa and for my business as well. Yes, absolutely. I think everyone has experienced a boom since COVID, which was not expected. But, you know, right when COVID happened, everyone's like, oh, what's going to happen, right? Listings pulled off the market, buyers stopped. And then all of a sudden, spring 2020 on just started getting crazy sellers getting top dollar and because of that other you know neighbors seeing oh wow jim and sally got 50k over asking (laughs) and ever since then we've been in an inventory battle so yeah pretty crazy year i'm curious what got you into the real estate industry so real estate has always been something i've been interested in and i think it was the mesh of my creative side as well as you know working with people from my past in, in in hr human resources And it's just kind of matches everything that I like and enjoy. And so I really don't even feel like it's, it's work because it just kind of taps into everything that I am as a person and that I want to be uh, for my business. Awesome. And you mentioned this, this background in HR and working with people, real estate is such a people business. And I learned long ago, even selling Cutco knives that the product that you're selling is not really what people are buying. They're buying you, right? And so having that connection with people and caring about people always takes you far in whatever industry you're in because whatever industry you're in, other people got to buy what you're selling. So it's really every industry is a people industry. I'm curious, you know, this podcast is about the actions that top 1% real estate brokers and mortgage brokers are taking that lead to their success. So, you know, what's the single most important action that you take on a daily basis that you attribute most to your success? And it's super basic. And when I say it, you're probably gonna be like, really, Nick? But it's it's drinking water. And the reality is, is with our business being where it's at and a lot of people's business, it is days, evenings, weekends, afternoons, and everything in between. And honestly, when you know, if I'm thirsty and I just don't feel that I'm on. So that simple aspect of adding and ensuring that I'm drinking lots of water right here is what I think allows me to be quick on my feet and work the hours that are required in this business. Interesting. So I have my coffee. There's water in coffee, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but a lot of people don't know that coffee actually dehydrates you, uh, as well as you know Red Bull and a lot of the other energy drinks. So I got my water right here too. So I agree with you. You're all set. 
Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> gotta have both. No, I, I love that. And, you know, having a strong physical base sets a foundation for the rest of your business. I've been a big believer in that for a long time. So, when it comes to your business, what percentage of your business is referral? And then, you know, what percentage is new business? So, right now, I'm, I'm working at a 93% referral rate. And that is something that I'm extremely proud of and grateful because pretty much what that says to me is that my clients, current, past and present, you know, trust me enough that they will, you know, refer me to their friends and family and know that they're going to be taken care of. So that is in itself the business that I've always wanted to run and running a referral based business is you know, for me is ideal because it's who I am as a person. I want to work hard for people. And in turn, they see that and refer me to like-minded people, friends, family, and uh, continue to get a chance to expand my business and brand. And I'd say a second component to new business, or maybe just uh, people seeing me through a different light would definitely be in social media. Some people may have heard my name or whatnot, but when you know, they come and they look on different platforms. They kind of see that personally is who I am in business. So mm. it makes it really simple that way. I, I don't have to put on a persona or, you know, switch hats. What you see is what you get. And I think that's what a lot of people enjoy about uh, working with me. That makes sense. And one of my other clients, he says, you know, or I actually describe him as like, he doesn't have to change character. And, you know, that makes total sense that you don't have to change character you're yourself and therefore it's easy, right? It's not taking energy to try and like mentally switch hats and remember what you said and all that stuff. You're just yourself everywhere you go. And due to that, then I think you're creating a lot of authentic connections where people then trust you and they're willing to refer you. That's amazing. Absolutely. What systems do you have in place to increase the amount of referrals you receive? You gotta have like some kind of, you know, mailers, pop buys, like different things that are a staple to, keep people um, with your name at the top of their mind because they could trust you in, during the transaction. But three years later, when their friend needs home, statistics are they've forgotten your name. It's just, you know, most 80% of people say they would work with and refer this, the realtor that they just worked with. But four years later, only 12% remember who it was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how are you keeping in touch with people? How are you staying in touch with them and, and generating those referrals consistently? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a, a client appreciation program. It's that simple. So I, you know, will send out information to my clients on anything lifestyle wise, real estate, whatnot. I update people. I send them birthday cards, anniversary cards, home purchase anniversaries. I throw client parties. I think that is in itself one of my absolute favorite aspects of my business is every year I get people together. Year, I get people together, obviously with COVID last year and currently it was a little different, but we did pivot and we did an awesome pizza party pickup, which was so well attended that it actually blew like us away. And so I think people really understand that when other people are saying, oh, because of COVID, we can't do something, the kite team didn't. We said, we want to make sure everyone's safe and not uh, expose anyone to any issues or whatnot. So we just set up a table outside one of our favorite places here in Ottawa at Sal St. Marco. They made fresh pizzas and people had their time slots. So between whether it was between 4 and 4.30, 4.35 or, or whatnot, that way we limited the content. Contact, people came, 
they picked up their pizzas, had a quick chat, and they went and enjoyed their pizza. So I think that would probably be the simplest way to say that, you know, being top of mind for me is just natural because I'm just want to take care of my clients. And so I'm always around. I'm always answering their questions. I'm always being checked in. And, you know, that uh, says itself in terms of the referral-based business. Yeah, that's so key. I, I like how you did not use COVID as an excuse to not do client appreciation activities. You got creative, you worked with your team, you worked with the local business, that pizza place, and you were able to then not only drive traffic to the business, which they appreciate, and then I'm sure that you know that business owner will now refer you to other people. What's great about that too is the business owner is also a client and a lot of people that work there. So <laughs> it's like, it's amazing because I get to support a business that I love and clients that I love and friends. And to me, it's a no brainer. Absolutely. I love that. And then through that process, you're reconnecting with clients and, you know, giving them a dinner in their, in a time of need when a lot of people can't even go to the grocery store or do other things. And, you know, they can swing by and grab dinner. That's awesome. So, you know, you have systems in place to just appreciate your clients and stay in touch with them, which is amazing. I'm curious though, What's the number one most profitable lead generation source outside of referrals? So again, it would be providing key information that either clients are expecting or that they don't know about. And so I do a lot of updating on, let's just say the auto real estate market. It's moving so fast. And you know, each neighborhood, each type of home is unique to those sellers. So actually giving them a local snapshot about their area as a micro community in the auto real estate market, I think is something that my sellers really appreciate and is why when we're having conversations and speaking on Nick, what's happening in the market? What, oh, can you believe this house sold last week? Well, what can we expect? That's where I do my research and I can show you what you can expect and here's why. And so I think that kind of market knowledge and just being reachable and understanding that sellers and buyers, they have a lot of questions. They're not doing this every day, so they're unfamiliar. So I just take what I do every day and I share it with my clients. And I feel that that's a value add that is tenfold. And I always get follow-up questions and then we're going to consider selling and we like this information. And I think that in itself would be probably one of the second because people forward that information onto their friends and then I'll get mm. calls. So, which is great. I'll be like, oh, you saw the video and I don't know you, so but... <laughs> Organic content. Yeah. Yeah. Putting content out there. And and this is a key, by the way. I, I do this for my clients. It's called keyword research. But you seem to have that knack for finding what people are talking about and then answering the question. So what's your process for that? You know, creating content that's actually relevant that people care about, not just like feeling like you're creating all this stupid fluff content that no one even likes or comments or generates any business. Like how are you focusing on creating videos? that people are sharing, because that is the biggest vote of confidence in a video, when people put their name on it and share it and say, I think this is valuable to all their friends and family. That's the biggest compliment that you can get and the biggest way that you can virally tap into so many networks if you can create shareable videos. So how are you doing that? How are you doing the research yeah. and the content? So what I do is I keep everything very short and very direct. I don't just say information that they can search or they see on the local news. I take that 
as background information, but then I put forth the real stuff that people don't want to say. Like, for instance, here in the auto real estate market, if you're looking for a freehold townhouse under 600,000, your days are limited because the average sell price now is 608. So I'll say stuff like that. Whereas, you know, other information would be like, oh, average townhouses are 608,000. But what does that mean to them? Yeah. So I'm letting them know that if you have, you know, a budget and your expectation on a certain property type or in a certain neighborhood is that, well, if you don't have that now, it's not the market's not going down. So you have to readjust your expectations and work with someone who understands how fast the market is moving. And I think that always comes back down to that kind of local market update. And yes, people can go on the news and see, oh, Canada real estate is up, whatever. That's fine. Or what's happening in Toronto or Vancouver. Great. That's good for them. But they want to know what's happening for me and what's happening for my local neighborhood. And that's what I think people really enjoy and is why they share. Got it. So you hyper-localize it, but you also, you ask yourself that key question, why does it matter to them? And that's so key. I mean, coming from a marketing standpoint, it's so easy to go create content or write something and do it in a way that resonates with you. But honestly, you don't matter. Like if you want to connect with people, you need to talk to them because they're reading it, right? They're viewing it. They're watching it. So you're asking that question like, cool, the median house price went up to 608. What, okay, what does that mean? Like Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like what does that mean? And, and be honest. That's what I love. I love about real estate is there is everyone has different opinions, which is great. Not everyone's opinions mesh with everyone. So maybe I'm saying something, it's too blunt. That's going to be, I'm not going to be a, a fit for someone, which is completely fine. But for, for the people who continue to, you know, use my services and, and support me, they see value in that. And so I'm going to give them the value that they're expecting. And, you know, in turn, I believe that it just reinforces our good relationship. Yep, absolutely. That makes sense. I like your your thought process behind it and, and making it relevant to the consumer. I, I love that. So Tesla reinvented the car buying experience. And there are a lot of agents out there that have mixed feelings towards the big companies that are trying to come in and disrupt the real estate space. So do you think that the real estate transaction will become mostly automated by 2030? I don't. I think that there's all different types of business models and each year things are evolving. And I think there's room for everyone. And I think that consumers, like any type of business, will always have options. But I personally feel that the more things go you know, online and digital, that people are losing that personal touch mm -hmm. and that connection. And I think that when you have a business that reinforces that you care and that you can be trusted and that you're there for them, I think it's invaluable. And so in terms of the clients that I want to work with, that would be my demographic. But 100%, there's going to be other business models that work for other people. Some people don't want you know, someone to keep in contact with them for the rest of their life. Some people just want, come sell my house, help me buy a house and see you later, which is completely fine. There's lots of other agents out there that can support them, but that's not for me. 
And so I think even with COVID being this pandemic, everything is going on. I think it's just reinforced, especially when, when buyers are looking in this competitive market and sellers are looking to maximize and try to, you know, obviously try to get top dollar. I think the personal touch and that real time information is vital. Yeah, no, that's totally true. In my opinion, I feel that although some aspects might get automated, little like, you know, there's so many pieces of each transaction, so many people involved, but the realtor is at the center of it all, right? There's all these, you know, transaction coordinators and loan officers and, you know, escrow and, uh, you know, there's like, there's so many pieces appraising. And so I think that some of that might get slowly, like one by one, like enhanced going paperless, you know, but the overall having an agent represent you who's almost like a like a lawyer with your best interest in mind that understands the language of the transaction that you're about to go into, right? And understands the local market and what should sell for what and how much you could get for it. That expertise is, I think it's it's pretty much a situation where you can't duplicate it at scale with a tech company. And, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree with you that a percentage of the market will want to say, hey, sell it as is right now, give me an offer, boom, I'm done. And for that, the iBuyers would be great. And I know a lot of top brokers that don't fear the iBuyer. They, in fact, they include it in their listing presentation. And it's part of, you know, like a three-step option process where it's like, hey, you know, if you want, we can get not only iBuyers, but also local investors to look at your house and they can give you a cash offer. Da, 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 and they'll go through like all the options because they're looking out for the best interest of that client and what they want. And they know that when they lay it out on paper in front of the client, then it's going to be the clear choice to go with the realtor because they're going to get them top dollar and they're actually less fees than the you know a lot of those other companies. So I agree with you. And uh, I asked that question to alleviate some of the fears out there. In the Absolutely. And, and I, you make really good points. And, and I think what it comes down to is that there is a commission paid it's, it's actually compensation because if you don't get the job done for them, there's nothing being paid out. And so right. from the listing side, I can say that I don't know too many businesses that just put up all the costs up front. And if something doesn't work out, you're out all that money, <laughs> right? So, you know, deciding who you want to work with and trust it's on both sides because, you know, this is a business and, you know, you have to work with people who value and, and trust you. And in turn, you just do the best you can for them. And then when you do that, they turn around and how lucky am I to get referred to their friends and family? Yeah, absolutely. Makes complete sense. And I'm curious, you know, you have some interesting things about your particular team that seem to have so much attraction to clients or like stickiness in a sense. And you mentioned, you know, your client appreciation things that you do, but is there anything else that you do that really nobody else in the industry does that you know of or, or something that's like super unique? I think it really does come down to communication. I can say that majority of the time, and I think a lot of my clients and friends will say the same, is I do respond almost immediately unless I'm in an appointment or occupied else, but I do get back very quickly. And so I think a lot of my clients, you know, even sometimes like if it's 10 o'clock at night, I'll get like the text, like, Nick, don't respond. It's okay. Get back to me in the morning. But I'm not built that way. It's like, no, if you have a question and you're sending it and I can answer it, 
I will, but I will always respond, even if I have to do some research, because a lot of times I just don't answer off the, you know, oh, maybe this, maybe that. I have to do some research, but I'll respond and say, got it on it, and I'll get back to you tomorrow on it. Perfect. Thank you. And so I think that that when people reach out, they're reaching out for a reason. And so I acknowledge everything, whether it's just, I've got your text, let me look into it, just in an appointment, I'll get back to you right away. It puts people at ease. And I think when we're in a very stressful climate, that kind of immediate response that invalidates that, yes, this is important and something needs to be taken care of, we're going to take care of it right away. Mm. Response rate. I mean, a lot of people might think that that's not a big deal. I can get back to them the next day, next morning. Gosh, I'm always on. Like, I'm, you know, it's a freaking Sunday. I'm with my family. Like, I'll get back to them later. But in reality, some of the biggest corporations in the world focus on this as a key performance indicator to the point that Facebook will rate your page and let the public know your response rate, how quickly you get back to people through Facebook Messenger if they ask a question. And if you actually get badges and like higher promotion from Facebook, if you respond within a minute, like responds immediately. And that like we got into, you know, my company, Steezy Digital developed like real estate Facebook chatbots with AI so that they could instantly respond back and, you know, increase the response rate from pages. It's almost like you've created that environment in your brokerage for any question, for text, for like anything, boom, 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 like that focus on getting back to your clients very quickly, like really valuing that they just asked you a question. And like you said, even if you have to go get the answer, boom, you respond back, hey, let me check on that for you, right? But it's like that immediate within seconds or a minute or two, they're like, okay, they've alleviated that feeling. I think that's that's really key. That's a subtle thing that a a lot of people don't focus on or realize is that that's important. And I think that doing the simple things great is how I run my business. Mm. I don't try to overcomplicate. And to be honest, I have messages coming in Facebook Messenger. I have them coming through Instagram. I have them coming through LinkedIn, email, text, call, whatever, FaceTime, Zoom, all these platforms, whatever works best for my clients or whoever is reaching out, that's the mode that I respond on. And so if someone like, for instance, like if I have to get back with a long, a long email or detailed research, then obviously the best form is by email. So I'll respond and, you know, request an email address to use and respond in that so that they can get the value. But really that's one of the things is whatever communication mode is the preference for my clients or whoever is reaching out. That's the mode I respond on. Mm, I like that. And you keep the conversation on the same channel. I've been really big on that. If a lead comes in on Facebook and click to Facebook Messenger, we collect their phone and email, but a lot of that conversation we have on Facebook Messenger. And then, you know, the same thing on, you know, a lead comes in and they start to text right back right away. It's like, all right, cool. We could try and schedule a call and, and send follow-up emails and send that stuff, but they've just voted that they want to text, <laughs> right? So keeping it on there, unless like you said, you're going to send them a comprehensive report yep. or, or like set them up on a safe search via email, like then you need the other thing. Yeah, that's cool. Are there any quotes that you live by that you think of often? You, you might have it like on your wall. You know, there's quite a few, but one that stands out is, you know, just follow your heart and intuition. It's not wrong. And okay. so I really do trust my gut. It's funny, 
just yesterday, I had a client who has been looking for a property and has a tight budget for the market. And we were able to see a property on Sunday and set us up for an offer presentation that took place yesterday. And we were in the top three for the offers. The listing agent let us know that we were in the top three and have we really truly provided our best and final offer? And if not, then speak with your client and come back with your best and final. My gut told me that we didn't need to improve, that we came in with our best and final. It was well planned out strategy-wise. It was on point. And I trusted that. And my client asked me, like, how much do you trust yourself? And I said, well, I trust myself 100%. And so if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm going to go with what I'm telling you. And then you tell me what you want to do. And he agreed. Nick, we put our best best foot forward. If it, we don't get it, we don't get it. Well, right. we got it. Ah, nice. And we didn't resubmit. We provided our best and final. It was strong. And we stayed put and we got it. Amazing. That's a really so, cool story. Yeah. So he was like, yeah, trust your gut, Nick. Thanks. <laughs> exactly. He's trying to save some money. So it all works out. So your quote would be like, I trust myself 100%. In this bit, you kind of just, you get all these kind of different information from all these different sources and you have to listen to yourself. And if you don't, then like, I don't know how else I would be if I wasn't me. I get it. I sense it. Something's off. I may not know 100% that something's off, but I know that something's not right. And so... You know, when you're dealing with people, especially during stressful times, you know, you have to be able to read the situation and respond in a manner that resonates. Yeah. Once again, the value of having a local realtor expert, someone who can put a feeling to to it, not just looking at data analytics, you know, from some headquarters in some other state or country, but someone, a human being who's there with you to represent you and say, you know what, this feels right. This feels like something's off this, you know, and having that intuition based on experience, based on, you know, the emotional knowledge around you and like reading the situation, you can't duplicate that with a machine, right? No, you can't. (laughs) Yeah. So I love that. And you got to trust your gut. Got to trust your gut. I agree. Yeah. So far, so good. So far, so good. So I'm curious, you know, a lot of people, they look at the success of someone else and they get the comparison envy. But I'm sure you've had failures in your life. So how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? You know, Do you have a, a favorite failure of yours? I do, actually. Uh, okay. And I, I've had more than one. So, But one that stands out that I have used and reused over and over again is the first listing appointment that I ever went on. Everything was going so well. I explained, you know, how we would sell your property, what we would do. This is, you know, the price range that I see it selling in. These are some of the strategies. And they were interviewing three other agents and they were going to make a decision the next day. I felt confident. I I felt like, wow, like I can do this. I, I felt good. I got a call the next day that they did decide to go with another agent. And then in my case, I, no matter what business I was in or what career, I always asked or sought out uh, feedback. 
So I just, the seller was on the phone and I just said, is there anything that I could have done better or provided you that would have allowed you to choose me to represent your home? Because I would really like to know, because I don't want to make that mistake again. And so this is why they call me the options man now, because he's just said, I didn't provide enough options. I said what I thought and he, they needed to see what the various options were so that they could choose what works best with my opinion. And you know what? Extremely valid point. Never made that mistake again, ever. And when people say there's options, like it's like one ABC, two ABC, three, like I will give you every single option there is and I will give you my opinion, but you will always have tons of options. Hmm. And that was from seven and a half years ago. Yeah. And if you would not have asked that question, you could have continued on unknowingly, you know, basically placing your opinion of what should happen onto people and not allowing them to choose the various options that you're providing. And I found that the option close is one of the strongest closes out there. That's why so many people do it. But also my first direct response sales training was based on an option close. You ask a yes or yes at the end. So I've always been kind of sensitive to that. Like when people ask a yes or a no, and when people only offer one, you know, cause that's really like what you're doing is you're only offering one option and it's a yes or a no. But then when you realize that like, if you get more creative or if you understand the situation, we used to call them down sales and in, in direct selling, there's so many other options. And so it's like, do you want this or that? Okay, cool. Let's do that. Right. And in your case, do you want 1A through C, 2A through C, 3A through C, and you you have like 9, 10, 12, 15 options that they could choose from. That's great. I love that. And, and that's a really big lesson for a lot of people out there is like, you know, every failure can lead to future success. So Absolutely. And I think just asking, and I think a lot of people would be scared or you know, just so discouraged that they didn't happen for them, that they missed that opportunity. Whereas I just, I said, well, you know, like I felt that I did well, so I want to know what I didn't do well and I'll never make that mistake again. And it was honestly, it was the best response I ever got. And that really helped my business. And I can tell you that in that local neighborhood, that seller still sees my name and sees me selling in that area and I have him to thank for it. Wow. There you go. Love that. I'm curious, what's one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've ever made? So I would say that it was joining Buffini and Company when I first started, which is one of the largest business coaching in the world. And it's very like-minded in terms of how I am as a person and how I want to run my business, which is referral-based. And it just kind of resonated with me right off the get-go. And, you know, I have my CRM system in there. And just, I would say that investing in myself and the coaching and, you know, really just learning how to run that type of business was 100% the biggest investment and the most important investment that I made for myself in my business. All right. Investing in a coach that resonated with you. I love that. Coaching is so important. I mean, I didn't take my marketing business to the next level until I invested in a coach that resonated with me. And I had done a lot of mindset, a lot of 
different types of coaching from powerful people like Tony Robbins and then investing in that coaching program for business and wealth training and, you know, all these things. And Tony says, you know, psychology is 80% of success. The mechanics are the other 20%. And so I was focusing so much on psychology, like my mindset, my meditation, my vision, my dream board was in line, like to the T, like could not be improved pretty much. <laughs> like it was every single day, like waking up, priming, everything. But I was still not experiencing the level of success that I desired. And what I realized was that even though I had nailed the 80%, in my opinion, of like compared to not only other people, but what I would envision like my optimum self looking like, everything was in line as far as mindset and habits, but I was missing the mechanics. I needed the 20% that was missing and having those mechanics from someone who had done it is so critical. And so I invested in a consulting agreement with a company that had scaled their online business and they were younger. They were like in their 30s and they understood marketing and Facebook ads and they were talking my language in the mechanics department. So once I had all of it, that's when things took off. And so, you know, back to your point, the Feeney Company, having models to work within and put energy into, that's so critical and working within the right models. Um, Absolutely. I and I think, you know, another kind of quote or, you know, kind of symbolism of many businesses is you don't know what you don't know. Mm. So by tapping into those resources, the mentorships and whatnot, I think it's only a value add for yourself, whether you're learning good, bad, the ugly, you know, what you didn't think. I think all that kind of comes into place and allows you a better direction and good takeaways. So that's why I always say like, you don't know what you don't know. Don't know what you don't know. Remind me, uh, what's your transaction volume right now? Yeah. So we're about 30 million uh, in 2020. And each year I can tell you that uh, we're up and, and growing, which is just amazing. And I'm so grateful for, for my clients for using my services and referring us. And I think that's just a testament that the longer that you're in business, the better you do for people, the more you're able to grow and support them. And so 2021, you know, we're kind of coming into the end of the first quarter and it's been another very busy quarter and it's been up and running since January 2nd. So it's going to be really exciting to see how this year unfolds because it feels like each month is a new year because of where the market is accelerating. So that to me is going to be really exciting to see, you know, come December, what has taken place in 2021 and what can we expect for 2022? Right. Absolutely. And with you being at you know, 30 million and growing, you know, what advice would you give to a, a real estate broker who might be at 10 million, uh, maybe even 15 million in gross annual transactions, and they're looking to grow? They want to hit 20, 25, 30. You know, what levers did you pull to get to that next level? It's a really simple list. It's called a start, stop, continue list. I realized from very early on that there were tasks that I didn't like to do. And so if I don't like them, but they are tasks that need to get done, then I need to hire and or delegate. Mm -hmm. 
So the start stop continue list is something that I do every single year and throughout the year, sometimes editing, adjusting, uh, but I also have my client experience officer, Serena, she does hers. And that has been amazing because I continue to do what I love. I'm able to add new things and do those, but then I'm able to offload or delegate things that are taking too much time or things that I don't want to do anymore. And so I find it really revitalizing each year to be able to say no to this and yes to this and let's proceed and give it our best. And so I would say that sit down, see what you're doing by doing your start, stop, continue list and see what is taking your time. If that time frame or the amount of time you're putting towards those tasks aren't yielding you results, then it's time to concentrate on what's yielding you the results and get support from someone else to do those other tasks because you can't grow if you're doing everything. And some people, especially in real estate or any other business, they do find it difficult to delegate because they micromanage or other different management styles. But really, if you want to run a successful business and be happy when your clients are around, you can't be thinking of the billion other things that you have to do. You have to be present and support them. So they're my number one. Everything else is secondary. And if people don't understand that now, then I think by writing that list, it becomes very apparent. Yeah, that's a great point. The start, stop, continue. And I'm curious because you say the things that I, you know, I say no to. Do you have a process for saying no other than I don't like it or, you know, this needs to be done, but like, how do you rationalize that or justify that or think about that when you say, here's an activity or here's a new shiny object? Right. And you're like, mm, no, like I'm going to stop that. Not, I'm not going to continue it or start it. Like this is an opportunity I have, but I'm going to stop that um, or say no to it. Well, what's your process for that? Yeah. So I rarely say no. I always ask questions. I want to seek information. So I don't know everything. And so when new things kind of come to market or that I see a task that maybe I can be more efficient with or whatnot, I just ask questions. And so it's questions and research. And if something at the end of those questions and research doesn't resonate or makes me excited, that is probably something that is not for me. And I've taken enough time and energy to figure that out, that that it's not for me. So then I know when the right things are there or when something's presented from me, I know that this is right by asking questions and seeing the direction in terms of my start, stop, continuous. So I feel that just by being open and asking questions and letting those questions sink in and doing my own research, it allows me to be very confident in my responses. And if the response is no, it's because it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, that makes sense. And when you know, you're talking about not saying no right away and just being closed off, being willing to go through the analysis process with things, but at the end of it, 
you know, if it's not resonating, if it's not exciting you, when you're listening to your gut, if you're like, nah, it's kind of not, not something that we are interested in as uh, you know, getting us closer to our mission, then after that process is when you would say no to something. Absolutely. And I think that's what people appreciate that it's not an instant no. And if the questions I'm asking, you know, are having difficulty being answered, then that in itself is something that that person needs to work on in regards to their delivery. Um, because these can't be, I can't be the only person asking these types of questions. Right. And so if someone has really thought out about all these situations and really came down to what's, why is this important to that person? Then these types of questions I would assume would already be ones that they would be looking forward and happy to answer. Got it. With that being said, what bad recommendations do you hear given to real estate professionals? You know, is there anything like in real estate groups or I don't know, in the in the sphere of the real estate community where you're like, oh man, I don't know about that. Like maybe, you know, new agents shouldn't pay attention to that or anything. Are there any bad recommendations that you hear given? Well, I think that a lot of the times the advice given is that run, find the shiny objects, chase them down and do that. I think the bad advice is that you're always chasing and not being comfortable with yourself. It's like you're being told you need to be someone else and not yourself. Mm. And so my advice has always been know yourself, be honest with yourself on the type of person and business you want to run and do that. Don't say, okay, I'm going to try this and then don't give it time. And then I'm going to try this and don't give it time. So I think it's the jumping around. And if something doesn't work, try something else. Well, you have to give things time. You have to, you know, see what your goals are. You have to see the results and you have to measure. And so I find that people jump around a lot. They Mm. jump from idea to this, to that, and they're not consistent. And they're also just not listening to themselves and they're being something that they're not. So being comfortable with your own skin, I think is the most important. And I think that allows me to look at situations that after doing some research just doesn't fit. And I'm okay with that. I don't need the shiny object every time. Sometimes the most important thing is the simplest thing and just do it well. Yeah. No, I love your statement about that. You know, like the mastery of simplicity or this doing the simple things to the best. You know, I'm going to go back to that in the podcast and that'll probably be the title because I, I love that statement of like, doesn't have to be something brand new, shiny in order to like reinvent your business. A lot of times it's just doing the simple things really well. Agreed. So, yeah, no, I, I love that. Hey, how can listeners contact you? Absolutely. So my website is nickkite.com. There is all the information, my social media handles. You can find me on all, all various platforms at Nick J. Kite uh, on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, you know, I'm there. And, you know, anytime people have questions, concerns, fears, you know, or just want to reach out and be like, oh, I really like that restaurant that you went to that you posted, you know, can you get me a reservation? I'm your guy. Awesome. 
I love that. And I'll link to that below. Is there a question I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier? I think if I'm going to leave with one aspect, I do have to come back to being comfortable in your own skin. Mm. I feel that others, whether they're your clients, business associates, colleagues, people pick up. And when something doesn't feel right or doesn't sense that it feels right, it turns people off. And so I think being authentic and being who you are and understanding that everyone's unique and it's okay to be different. I think that is something that in any business is valuable. So true. So I've consulted a lot of businesses on growing their Instagram account. That was all the rage a couple of years ago. And I had been fortunate enough to grow my own to about 30,000 followers and a few others over 10K. And, and so I was like, I might as well just start doing this because I seem to be pretty good at it. And, uh, you know, they changed the algorithm since then. So rather than really focusing on that and the aspect of my current business, we've evolved it into more paid advertising and branding and overall strategy and other things. But the point is, and to your point, there's this moment in the growth process where at first it's really uncomfortable to create all this content from the person that I'm helping grow their page. Creating all this content feels awkward. And then there's this moment where they kind of get burnt out on preparing and doing all this stuff and like putting on a show and they just be themselves. There's like, it's like a breaking point, but it's also like a beginning because the biggest influencers in the world are huge because they're a lot of times quirky. And I'm talking about non-celebrity influencers. Of course, if a celebrity starts a page, bam, they have 100 million followers. <laughs> exactly. But I'm talking about people that are like YouTubers and, you know, they are some weird dude in a room with a personality and people love it because mm-hmm. they just, they pay attention to the little flaws and the quirks and the humor and the humanity of it all, right? And I really encourage, like, as I did more and more consulting for this, I really encourage people early on to just do that from the beginning. Like why go through the process of being somebody else and then getting so exhausted with it that you finally become yourself later. It's like, (laughs) just do it from the beginning. It's going to be easier. You'll resonate with more people and your numbers will show that. So I love it. Well, Nick, Kite, everyone, reach out to him from the links below if you're interested and really appreciate you you know, being on here. Thanks for all your insights. And uh, yeah, man, we'll connect again soon, I'm sure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was a great time. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.